Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. John 15, 6 through 15. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 15, if you want to keep that open. We'll be using John chapter 15 and John chapter 13 this morning, so it'll be right there in the Gospel of John. If you're visiting Christ Church, we're glad you're with us. My name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and uh, we're encouraged by your being with us in worship today, and we hope we encourage you as well. Uh, we are going to continue in our series uh, called Life Alive. We're in uh, week five of this series. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit and seeing how God does something in us that we can't do within ourselves. And it's evidenced by the way we love and serve. And we've looked so far in this series at the, these gifts of the Spirit, these, what he calls fruit, joy, peace, patience. And last week, Elijah Daly led us in a good message on faithfulness called integrity. And we've looked at how God produces in us. And if you haven't been with us in this series, what we've been focusing on is, are we just try, going to live our lives trying to be good or are we going to actually let God do something in, in us that is supernatural, something that only the Holy Spirit can bring us? And I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's theme is kindness. It's the spiritual gift of kindness and how God grows that in us. And in fact, if you want to look at its probably best description, it would be in the King James translation, which calls it loving kindness. But before we get there, there was an opportunity that we have before us that we as a leadership of the church, I went to our elders who are basically our church dads, and I went to them and said, hey, I got this letter this week from one of our partners. So for those of you that don't attend Christ Church, we have uh, impact partners that we work with. Some are international, some are national, some are local. And we like to invest in other ministries. We believe that a tithe of our giving should go out to support other ministries outside of ourselves. And so as we were doing this, each month, we have an initiative of the month that we focus on. It's one of our partners. It meets one of our four pillars. Uh, this month, we're going to go with India or Central India Christian Mission, CICM. And this partners with Dr. Ajay Law and his family and this immense ministry that takes place in India. They do church planting. They have an orphanage. They have a hospital. They have a school. They uh, 
uh, raise up preachers and send them out to plant churches in areas that don't know where the gospel is in one of the most populated countries in the world and one of the darkest countries as far as world religions and what it's done to those people. You also might know in India there's a caste system. The difference between the haves and the have-nots is immense. There's even a caste, a, a lower caste. There are those that are neglected. They're called the untouchables and they're not taken care of, and they don't have any way to get out of that in their lifetime. They just live in that poverty and despair. And so we partner over there because we believe that the gospel is working, and uh, Ajay has done an incredible work. Well, the reason I'm telling you all this is because there's an opportunity that uh, our elders want to present to our congregation, and it's twofold. Uh, We want it to be a people of prayer for our brothers and sisters in India, and we also are going to ask for a sacrifice from you in just a moment, I'll explain how that works. Uh, I want to read to you what I received this week, and many of us received from uh, Brother Ajay as he shared with us what's taking place. I am writing this today with a very broken heart. The COVID situation in India is worse than it's ever been in the history of the pandemic. It's growing more and more out of control every day and has reached a point where the leaders of our country have no idea what to do. Currently, the reported amount of COVID cases is above 350,000 daily, and these are just reported numbers. We know the real situation is worse. On top of that, there is a national shortage of medication, oxygen, medical equipment, and hospital beds. Many people are being turned away without treatment. According to the national news, there are over 25,000 people dying daily. Hardly any of this is being reported by our government. There are mass graves and sites of cremation where people are waiting 8 to 12 hours in line in order to give their loved ones a proper funeral. Even at hospitals all over the country, it is becoming very difficult for people to obtain the bodies of their dead relatives. Just in the last week, there has been over 20 people that have died that we personally know from our churches and from our staff. Because of all of this, it's more than heartbreaking for our people. In the midst of this, our faithful medical staff at our CICM hospital are serving 12 to 18 hours per day, risking their lives for the sake of the people in our community. These 132 workers have truly become the hands and feet of Jesus. The hospital has become a shelter of hope in the middle of a very hopeless situation. Our team continues to touch the, ba- the, touch the people of our community with the love and healing power of our Lord Jesus. On behalf of our entire team, we thank you so much for all of your prayers and sacrificial gifts during this dark time. Please continue to pray for the people of India and for the medical personnel all over our country. We request you to join us as we save the lives and souls of every person we can. As a brother and sister in Christ, obviously our hearts are moved toward this as they face the epidemic. Because of the way India is set up, it is not uncommon for the lower caste to be just disregarded when it comes to medicines and care and act with just human concern. And so rather than sitting in judgment, we as brothers and sisters in Christ want to join them and partner. So there's two asks that we're making of our church. First of all, that we're going to have a moment where we're just going to have a period of time where we as a church are praying for those leaders and for those people and families and the ministry that could take place in India to administer the gospel. And we're going to do that, and then I'll close in prayer. But So I'm going to ask you just to join us in this for the next seven days, all the way through next Sunday. We're going to ask for you to take a period of time and covenant with us that we're going to take a period of time each day to pray for the churches in India as they minister to people in the worst moments of their lives. Would you join us in that? Second thing we're going to ask is for a financial sacrifice. Over and above your normal giving to all the ministries you support and sacrifice for, we are going to be taking up a collection this month with CICM as our initiative of the month. And we're going to take up a collection. You can see on the screen the means by which you can do this. 
If you give online to Christ Church, all you have to do is use that same vehicle that you give online with and go and there'll be a drop down. It'll say Central India or CICM, Central India Christian Mission, and you can designate your money over and above what you normally support, designate that money to CICM, and we will get that out immediately into their hands to do ministry tomorrow. If you are old school and you write a check, write CICM at the bottom and that will go directly over as well and we'll, we'll give that. For those of you that are new to Christ Church, let me explain, because sometimes it's awkward for people when they come in to a church this size and they think, oh wow, they have their own restaurant. We don't, we have a cafe. Now, here's what we do. When you come in, if you go buy, you know, one of those fancy drinks you all buy, it's half sugar, half coffee, those things, right? And you go to the cafe and you purchase that, you'll see a tip jar there. That is not for the baristas and the people that are serving you behind there. Everything over our cost, everything we receive, outside of the cup, the lid, and the coffee itself, Everything over and above that that we gain goes to our missional impact of the month. The tip jar that you see there, all of that money gets sent right over as an extra blessing to one of our partners just to encourage them, to let them know we're praying for them and thinking about them. So we really want this whole thing not to be a profit center. We want it to give it out the way God allowed us to have it. So we're encouraging people to make a sacrificial gift this month to CICM as one of our partners, to lift up the workers, to provide the materials they need, and to let the world know that we care. So we're asking you to consider both of these options. First, join us seven days of intense prayer before the Lord for our friends. And then secondly, to make a financial gift if you're able to. And if you have any questions about that, you can come see me or any of our church elders. We'd be happy to answer those questions. Right now, the best gift we can give is our prayer. So let's spend a few moments together Praying as one for the people of India and for the ministry that could take place, and then I'll close. Creator God, you are the father of everything. You created this earth with your words. You built this entire system in all of its complexity out of your wisdom and your might and your glory. You're the father of each of us. And you're the father of every single person in India. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for those who don't even know the truth of the gospel yet. And Father, we don't give, need to give you details or assignments. You've got this. Your will is perfect and you're working in this currently. Even before we knew of it, you were working. We're simply coming before you today, asking for your mercy to be known, asking for your kindness to be experienced, asking for your presence to be experienced in the lives of those who have 30 or 40 gods that they serve, hoping to find the right one, that you might reveal yourself through your church, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, so that they know who you are. Father, that's what we're ultimately asking for. We pray for mercy and healing. We would ask that that virus would, would disappear, but if that's not your will, we trust that you will do what you need to do in a way that will matter more than we could ever imagine. So we give you our faith this morning. We give you our hearts that when we hear this report and we believe it, that our hearts are saddened. I don't know what I can do from Missouri to help my brothers and sisters in India, but Father, I wanna do something. Show us what that is. 
Speak to each one of our hearts individually that we know what we can do, what we could give, how we might pray, how we might serve, that your church would be one throughout the globe, different skin colors and dialects and understanding, but that we would be one around who you are. You are the good father. Help us to help you accomplish your will here on earth. We pray this believing and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we continue on in this series, uh, just for full disclosure, I don't want you to think that we keyed up the opportunity in India with a message on kindness. I think God did, because this series was designed months and months in advance. And so what we wanted to show you was an opportunity came when we talk about what kindness is. And what I love about this particular message, which makes it really simple and easy for me, is I doubt that there's a single person hearing my voice today who would argue with me about whether or not they should be kind. Other texts that come up and people are like, yeah, I don't know if I believe your take on that. But when it comes to kindness, I don't know a single person who's ever thought, oh no, I can be a total jerk to everybody, it's my right. I know people who do that, but I don't think they think that, right? And so when we talk about kindness, it's a universal truth from the time we were children that being kind is a natural part of who we are. So we get distracted. So I can only confess my weakness. And that is, I believe I should be kind to everybody, but sometimes I get selfish. Sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I begin to count how many people haven't been kind to me as if that gives me a right not to be kind to others. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room who's done that. But kindness is a core of who we are. And our parents, if they did a good job at all, they taught us what it means to be kind. But what is the kindness of Jesus? In this series, we've been looking at how Jesus demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit and how we were taught that that then becomes a part of our identity in Christ. So what was the kindness of Jesus? Well, the word kindness used in scripture, loving kindness or kindness used repeatedly means these things. Being warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, sympathetic. But I want you to know that every time the word kindness is used, it is demonstrable. It can be demonstrated. We're not talking about we're not talking rather about sentimentality. We're not talking about a feeling that makes you want to be warm toward a person. We're not talking about a feeling that if you see someone crying, that your heart goes out and says, maybe I should go over and say something and see if they're okay. That's genuine human goodness. That's community. That's what we're built for, relationships. And we're actually talking about deeds. We're actually talking about doing something, not just being sentimental, but actually being caring, being loving. Kindness, when used in the scripture, is always doing something for someone out of love. That's what it means to be a person who demonstrates kindness. How did Jesus demonstrate it? 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Loving kindness is demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated it first, and the expectation is that we would follow his lead, that we would follow his example. And we've talked about this, that love is the soil in which all fruits of the Spirit grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those fruits of the Spirit come from the love that God builds in us. And kindness is being generous. And you, you know how to do this. So this is not just being good and trying to be kinder. It's actually allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us so that our loving kindness goes beyond something we've ever done before. 
And being generous is a sign of that. You know how to be generous. You know how to care for people. You've done kind things for people. You've known someone who's had a rough week and you went by and if you loved them, you gave them pie. If you kind of liked them, you gave them cake. You know what I mean. You, you serve them. You do unto others what you'd expect them to do unto you. And you, you tend for their lawn or you go over and take care of their pet or you, you do some laundry for them or you take them a gift card or buy them their favorite drink. You know how to be kind. So this is not just be kind. This is no, find the source of a loving kindness that makes an eternal difference. And so in the midst of all of this, we know how to be kind. Think about it. We invest our time, our treasure, and our talent. Those three things are, are demonstrable. Those are things that we give that are valuable to us. So part of loving kindness is actually valuing another person more than we value a thing. So for instance, I know for a fact, and I don't think I'm the only person, that I can value my children and I have no problem giving time, treasure, and talents to my kids. But I also know that I can do that toward vehicles, possessions, my uh, technology, my gadgets. I can do it toward my hobbies. I can invest all of these things. I, I know people that have given me their time. They've sat with me. They, they've talked with me. They said, you seem out of sorts, Mark. Let's, let's meet for coffee and we can talk. And they gave me their time. And some, of, some people have blessed me with financial gifts and simply said, hey, we want to take this pressure off of you. We want to take care of that. Buy me a meal or something. It's a blessing. And then other people, and we discount this so much, I think, in culture, but other people use their talents and their skills and their education to bless like, I must confess, if there's something wrong with my vehicle, I never feel more emasculated or vulnerable than when I have to walk into a car shop because there's some guy looking at me like, what's wrong with it? And I'm like, it doesn't work. It's all I got. And he looks at me like, you mouth breather. How in the world do you survive? I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't work. I need someone who I can trust. And I look around this service and I see people who have body shops and uh, car mechanics. And I saw the people that take care of my car here second hour. And I'm like, without them, someone could take me for everything in the world. Because I don't know. I need their skill to bless me. And they show me loving kindness. You get it, right? It's just what the church is here for, is to bless others with the experiences God gives because we value them. But we all know how to be kind but we're not equally kind. Let me explain. I got in trouble for this, but I'll try it one more time, see if it works. I know I can say this with certainty. If your child or grandchild or niece or nephew or spouse needed an organ transplant surgery and the doctors told you it'd be $175,000 to bring them to health, you'd move heaven and earth to do that, wouldn't you? You would sell your vehicles, you would sell your home, you would trade in your retirement money? I'm seeing heads nod. This is the most response I've ever gotten in church. I love this, right? You would move heaven and earth to make that happen, right? What if it was your pet? What if your pet needed a new kidney at $175,000? I got a nah, I like that. I'd spend some money, it'd be 10 bucks for a box. You know what I mean? I'm only saying what you think. You'd spend $175,000 to keep your pet alive? No one loves my dogs like I love dogs. $175,000? No, my kindness would have a limit. But for my child, name the price. I'd do whatever. You see what I'm saying? You are created by God to love people more than things. And yes, dogs will be in heaven, so it's all good. It's all good. Now, I was going to say cat, but I was told that wouldn't be kind on a message on kindness, so I don't. Although I just did. Okay, so... What I want you to say is you know that your kindness is not extended equally. 
even though it can be extended always. We are taught by Scripture that the Holy Spirit will bring a kindness out of us toward people in a way that it should not bring out of us toward things, possessions, events. You get it. So what does loving kindness do? Jesus laid his life down for people. So what does loving kindness do? Well, it meets needs through deeds. I know that's a little bit cheesy. It's all I had. It meets needs through deeds. If you want to know what loving kindness is, when you are meeting someone's need by doing what they need done and helping them get that accomplished, you're doing it. You're actually living out this loving kindness. Now, you look at the miracles of Jesus, and I'll be brief. You can take the miracles of Jesus, and here's what you conclude. Jesus met psychological, social, spiritual, and physical needs. Someone was hungry, he didn't preach him a sermon, he fed him. Someone was thirsty, he didn't preach him a sermon, he got them something to drink. When they were sick, he didn't preach them a sermon, he healed them. But it also says in Luke 24, 19, that Jesus was mighty in word and deed. You don't have to pick just one. You can do both. You can teach truth while meeting their need. And both of those is what they need. Now, sometimes you can feed desires. Loving kindness isn't limited to, well, they actually don't need that, so I don't have to provide it. No, loving kindness is actually you can bless someone above their needs. But start at their needs, and you'll have opportunity to do something that Jesus would have provided or done for you, because Jesus showed that kindness. Look at John 15, verse 8. In verse 8, it says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. If you take that one verse just for a second, you're going to realize that the loving kindness of God is less about you than it is about the other person, and it's definitely not for your own glory. We're not told to go out and do good things so people know you're a good person. It actually says here that the reason we do loving acts, this is what the Holy Spirit does in us, is it's not about us doing it, it's about the glory of God. The reason we love and serve other people is so that they see the love of God coming through us and they realize this is not a normal thing a person does. There must be a motivation beyond their goodness, right? And then look at verses 12 through 14. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. There's the standard. This is the source of loving kindness. Love others like you've been loved. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's the relationship of love. It's the soil by which all fruit grows. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus had a moment. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. Welcome to my kingdom. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was, I was in prison and you came and visited me. And the disciples looked at each other and they went, what's he talking about? I never gave him clothes. I never saw him in prison. And Jesus, knowing that, says, whenever you, you treated the lesser ones, you, you did that for me. And they were like, oh. He said, but some of you think you're a part of my kingdom, but I was hungry and you did nothing. I was thirsty. You did nothing. I was in prison. You did nothing. You, and they said, but wait, when, when did we ever not serve you? He said, whenever you did not serve the least of these, you did not serve me. He said, this goes all the way back to the John 15 passage. The truth for each of us is to understand that Jesus says, because I have loved you, I am going to fill you with the love that has to pour out. And that love is to be given away, not kept. Look at 1 John 3, 17, as it appears on the screens. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? I want to be careful with 1 John 3. John's not saying that's a horrible person. 
No, he's saying is the reason this person doesn't meet the needs of other people is because the love of God is not present. The love of God is not flowing. The love of God has not been received. You see the difference? It's not that you're irredeemable. It's just that we've gotten away from the source. So let's be crystal clear here this morning because there's always this battle. Is it what I believe or what I do? I don't know how you can separate the two. Deeds of kindness do not save you. Deeds of kindness reveal the grace you live in. If we are not being kind, it's because we've forgotten the grace that rescued us. But when we understand the grace that rescues us, kindness just becomes second nature to us as the Holy Spirit works in us. So this is the question we want to get to this morning. How is kindness cultivated in our lives? If it's not by my power, but by the power of God, how do I open myself up to the power of God to take me to that new level of not just being kind to be kind, but being lovingly kind because of Christ? Back to John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to pause there for a moment. I really like the older NIV, New American Standard, New International Version, those two translations, because they use the word abide. Now, in some of the newer translations, reading level-wise, they went to the word remain. It's roughly the same, but I like abide because it reminds me of two moments in my life. I loved my grandma Bailey. I loved her a lot. There's one thing I didn't like about her. Her imperfection was she pinched when she was upset with you. She didn't flick or paddle. She pinched and you can't hit an old lady and it hurt. And so I didn't like it when she did that. Now she wanted me to behave. I wanted her to stop pinching. We found a compromise. Okay. But my grandmother had two expressions she used all the time. One I loved, one I hated. The one I hated was be still. That always came pre-pinch. So in church, if we were messing around, she would look and snap her fingers and say, be still. That was the final warning before those nails came out. I didn't like that. She also had another one I loved, and that was stay put. She would look at you, and I'd be in the kitchen asking her something, and I'd start to leave. She goes, no, just stay put for a minute. And that always meant she was going to feed me. I love that woman. I love stay put because stay put meant something good was coming. And if I stayed in the kitchen, like she'd be making pie, and she'd have extra pie uh, crust, and she would put it out, put cinnamon and sugar on it, bake it for me real quick and give me a treat waiting for the pie. What a godly woman she was. So when she said, say put, I stay put. When she said, be still, I feared. When I hear the word abide, I hear stay put. Jesus is saying, stay connected to me. Don't walk away. Don't go on your own little trips. Stay with me. Allow me to empower you. Allow me to change you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. If you want the Holy Spirit to work, Stay with the source. The source is not for us to use. The source is for us to be used by. And we trust. Verses 8 and 9. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I want to pause here. That back half of verse 9 is crucial. It's, in fact, one of the most powerful sermons I remember in my lifetime was preached by a man named Tommy Oakes at a youth retreat I went to when I was a freshman in college. And he preached on John 15, verse 9, and he preached on this phrase, now remain in my love. And the thing he taught me that I have to hold on to is that Jesus did not tell his disciples, remain in my obedience, remain in my rules, remain in my structures, prayed, remain in my love. 
And I realized that many of the things missing in my spiritual pathway of discipleship has not been that I don't know what to do. It's that I don't remember why I should do it. I don't hold on to the motivation to say, why be loving kind to a person who rejects me or harms me? How do I turn my cheek when they hit me again? How do I love my enemy? How do I do that? It's because I'm not abiding. I'm not staying put in the source of his love. I'm trying to do that by my own strength and I don't have it. But when the love of God is overwhelming me and filling me and reminding me, I then have a source I can find nowhere else. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we find out when we test our heart that if we believe that God accepts me because I'm a pretty good person, then we, when we see the needs of another person, we say things very earthly like, well, they just need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They need to toughen up. They need to figure it out. I understand that logically, but biblically, there's no place for that. I saw a, a lost interview from NBC with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967, and he said something that has altered me. He said, before you tell another person to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, you might want to ask them if they even have boots. And in that moment, I was convicted that if everybody just lived, I, I joke about it all the time with people. If people would let me run the world, it'd be a lot better place. You don't want me running this place. You see, the truth of it all is that if we see that God's love came to us because we earned it, that everyone else has to earn God's love. But when you and I truly understand the gospel message that while I was his enemy, while I was rebelling against him and treating him like a scandalous person who was not worthy of my respect, he came and died for me, sacrificing everything for me, then I don't look at anybody else as just another person who needs to know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then loving kindness will flow from me because of the love I let my heart receive. You with me, church? You want to cultivate the Holy Spirit's gift of loving kindness to you? Then you need to remember where you've come from and who got you there. And then everybody's deserving of what you've received. So turn with me, because I want you to hear the gospel. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Some of you are panicking like, what? No, we're almost done. John chapter 13. You'll know this moment in time. But Jesus does something amazing in this passage, according to John. We'll begin in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go on to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jump down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. John chapter 13 verse 1 says that he loved, having loved them, he loved them to the end. On a night that his mind knew from the scriptures what was going to happen to him. He knew of the betrayal. He knew of the punishment. 
He knew of the scandal. He knew of the torture. He knew that he would keep his mouth shut when he could have spoken himself freedom and he would speak when it would only bring about his condemnation, when he would choose to play into their supposed power with his own to bring about his crucifixion. In the moment of that, that man saw 12 men who could not understand him for anything. And he got up, the God of the universe got up from the table where he should have been served he got on his hands and knees and he washed 12 pair of feet. He washed the feet connected to the mouth that would deny him hours later. He washed the feet connected to the heart of the man who would betray him to the authorities that would kill him. He did all of this. He did not just do the favorites, he did them all. He washed 12 sets of feet, got done and said, did you see what I just did? Do that. And then he said, and now that you know, verse 17, you will be blessed if you do this. Isn't it just like God to give us a task to bless others and somehow bless us for our obedience? Bless us in a way that produces something in us for simply doing what we should have done anyway. 12 men's feet. This is the example of Jesus. And this is the expectation of Jesus. But in perfect God form, he doesn't ask us to do it by our own strength. He says, submerge yourself in the person of Jesus Christ and the grace of the gospel, and I will produce a loving kindness in you. You can't shut off. You can't exhaust. I will do something with love in your life that will bring you beyond any of your own power, and you will find yourself seeing and loving and caring for people you never noticed before. As I like to do, I think that there's a, from a persuasive teaching standpoint, if I can get you to do, to think, or to become something, then you will have been persuaded. So from the power of God's word this morning, I want you to engage your heart, your head, and your hands. Now, this is for believers and unbelievers this morning. For those of you that are just trying to figure out, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus or not? You're welcome into this discussion because you can do this too. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want you to renew yourself in this. Let's engage our hearts first. You engage your heart by receiving the love of God daily, by not presupposing it. But when you get up in the morning and have your quiet time or before you go to bed at night, worship the King for no other reason than he's loved you and he's loved you well. He's loved you while you were the enemy. He's loved you while you questioned him. He has loved you and given to you and blessed you daily. Absorb yourself in that. There is nothing selfish about stopping and realizing my heavenly father is awesome. Engage your heart in worship daily to the king of kings who's given you life. Then you engage your head. And this is where we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Let us see dirty feet. Let us see empty hearts. Let us see lonely people. Let us see those that are charging after the world, hoping to find satisfaction and only finding emptiness. And we don't do this in judgment, but we simply do what Jesus did when he sat at that table that night to give the last supper and to tell them this is the night it will happen. He looked around and saw a need they had and in love, he met their need. And he said, you've seen what I've done. Go do that. Ask 
the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so that your mind will be able to see the opportunities in front of you right now. He may not send you to another country. He may not send you to the heart of India. He may not send you to another state. He may send you home to someone in your own house who's being unseen, unloved, unknown, struggling. Look for dirty feet. Open your mind. And then hands, serve somebody. Serve somebody because they have value. Remember, you'd move heaven and earth to save your child, to save your parents, to save someone you love. God will open your heart to love. And then you and I put our hands and feet to work. No one may ever notice, but to the glory of God, it will be good. Some people may notice, but to the glory of God, it'll be good. Thousands may notice, but to the glory of God, it'll be good. And at the end of it, our prayer is that God is seen because his love came through us. That's what it means to open yourself up to the fruit of the spirit and the loving kindness. Stay put in the center of God's love and watch what he does with all of us. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.